Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's safe out there right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope you're all doing well. Hello everyone, even those on the open seas. Good morning. And we've also got a fourth with us this week, Mr. Richard Hobbs from our other award-winning podcast, The Wolves Fancast. How are you, Richard? You all right? I'm good, gents. I am so happy to be here. We spend all our time not talking about football on The Wolves Fancast. Why not do it on a on the magnificent cage fighting instead? Makes perfect sense. Rich, we've got to ask you the three questions, mate. So first off, what's your Nick Cage film of choice? I've narrowed it down to three, of which I'll get it down to two. So I've gone for Con Air, which I think is probably a, okay. a pretty standard one. The other two I had was The Weatherman. It was the first semi-good Nick Cage film I saw. I think the first Nick Cage film I saw was Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. So, I, even at a young age, I understood that's not a good film. Whereas The Weatherman had some interesting kind of beats in it, I guess, even looking at it mm. as an adult. Uh, the other one I had was Kick Ass, chiefly, but it was very much a supporting role. Um, we, re- we reviewed it as a full film, so don't worry about did it. You? Oh, fantastic. Because out of those three, I would go Kick Ass. Um, if you wanted me as a lead actor, I'd probably go Conair. What is your cinema snack du jour? Oh, so I feel horribly basic when I say I, I, I just tend to go popcorn at the cinema. Um, okay. Sweet or salted? Mixture. I, I'm, I'm, okay. I am that guy. Um, mm. uh, Taking uh, the Ash Dolan route of things there. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, at home, I, I raised it with my wife as well earlier. You know, we'll tend to sort of get some popcorn, you know, well, for literally the last year, if we're going to watch a film, we'll get a bag of popcorn and it'll be sweet and salted. I was trying to think of other things that I enjoy eating while watching a film, and it did very much occur to me, it has to be things that you don't need to look at, because mm. your eyes are almost in one direction, so that's why popcorn works really well. And in my head I thought, well, maybe something like chips or something would go well, but I was like, would they be too hot? And so I think popcorn is a is a good balance, and you don't really want sweets because it could be too sickly if you eat too many. Because I'm the worst for pretty much any food anyway, but particularly popcorn, I will devour it. I, I, if, if you put it in front of me, I will just eat it all. So you know, it, it needs to be something quite light as well. I think because it's over two hours. On the chips front, I mean, I, I said it um, over Christmas, but Christmas films at night. Sausage rolls are coming out, and that hot, yeah. hot sausage rolls. Don't be silly now. Um, but for the same reason, it's warm. You don't want too hot. You burn your mouth. Exactly. So, hot sausage rolls, cinnamon whiskey, real coke in, in glass bottles, and a bit, a bit of rum sometimes. But you still have popcorn. So yeah, hot food and popcorn does work. Oh my mm. god! A midsummer so- working class dream. <laughs> <laughs> So last time out, Stu was Barry Norman, and this time he's Heston Blumenthal. Wow. <laughs> uh, and the final question, Rich, if you can only watch one film for the rest of your life, what is that film? So I've numbered it down, again, numbed it down to two. Uh, so my two were Hot Fuzz and uh, Paddington. And oh, Paddington, I love Paddington. It's genuinely, uh, it's... Yes, it's a kids' film, but I think it's just a wonderfully written, wonderfully shot film that's very sincere. 
um, and sort of wonderfully done. But I'm going to go for Hot Fuzz. Um, you've probably noticed themes I've mentioned Kick-Ass, Hot Fuzz, and my question <laughs> in a bit. Um, yeah. But I think I, I just think that Hot Fuzz pretty much delivered across the board in every area you want as a film for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a stage where it was on ITV2 pretty much every other weekend, and it was... It was on ITV ITV two every other weekend for a reason because it is so rewatchable. Wonderful, Rich. That's great. Thank you very much. So we shall move on to the news. A couple of big trailers have dropped in the last few weeks. We got a more detailed look at F nine, the tenth film in the Fast and Furious saga. John Cena joining as Vin Diesel's brother. Even by Fast and Furious standards, this film looks absolutely crazy. Cars pushing other cars through buildings using magnets, vehicles in space, <laughs> planes catching flying cars midair. Like, I cannot fucking wait for this film. It looks incredible. And the other big trailer that dropped was Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, a zombie heist film set in the post-apocalyptic Las Vegas. We get to see a zombie tiger. It's written by Zack Snyder and one of the writers from John Wick 3, Parabellum, uh, Shay Hatton. I'm very much looking forward to that dropping, and that will be in about a month's time, 21st of May. Um, are there any other films coming out this summer that you fellas are looking forward to? I think, um, obviously, the slate cleansing Suicide Squad, hopefully, will um, it's obviously one to look forward to, to kind of wipe mm. the slate clean from what we had before. Um, I really want to get my teeth into some horror this uh, this summer because you know it's lighter for longer, so I won't feel as scared so late <laughs> at night. So, um, so I might start joining you on on Shudder Saturdays to be fair and see if there's any kind of um, any kind of new releases to look forward to. Superb, excellent! You'll always be welcome on Shudder. Stu, anything you got your eye on? Other than the two that you just mentioned, because Zombie Tiger, fucking hell. Um, Black Widow, just so we know who that woman was from uh, Folk of the Winter Soldier last week. Um, obviously Bond as well. And do you see that as well, that they've, uh, it's going to be the biggest film premiere in UK history? £10 million premiere at Wembley. Jeez. Uh, I don't know if they're going to show it on the actual screens in, in the stadium. That would be amazing. Um, but apparently that's what I read yesterday, that it's going to be the biggest film premiere ever for a film that's nearly okay. 18 months too late. So... <laughs> Obviously, yeah. I'm interested to sort of see the Black Widow movie be chiefly because I've been ever so slightly underwhelmed with the TV show so far. And mm. I, I, the other sort of ones I had was sort of a new Guy Ritchie film coming out, Man of Wrath, because his films are so up and down, I find. But mm. his, uh, his early stuff's, you know, really strong in terms of, um, you know, films like Snatch. But then... You know, he's had a couple of proper dips in there as well, so I'd be interested to see how this one plays out. And also a new Space Jam film. Oh, yeah. mm. Is Space Jam a good film? The original? Oh, I, I remember watching it back and hating it. Like, is it actually a good film, or is this just something we watched through Rose Tint, or some of us watched through Rose Tinted Spectacles? It's true. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you love Yeah, I knew you would. Space Jam is eternal. It will live forever. It's it's just it's, it's great. But when was the last time you saw it? 
it would have been when it was released. I was going, I went to the cinema. I think it was on my birthday, if I remember correctly. Um, and I used to live near Russell's Hall Hospital, which I assume you gentlemen know. And there's a psych ward there. And someone was jumping off the, um, the the pylon in the grounds of the hospital. So I was nearly late for the start of the cinema because... I thought you was going to say they were playing R. Kelly at the phone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like my overriding memory of Space Jam is someone trying to commit suicide. Yeah, I think you need yeah. to you need to rewatch to get that scenario into <laughs> your head. Matt, are you a fan of Space Jam or are you on my team with this one? Um, I saw it not that long ago for the first time in about 15 years or so. And uh, yeah, it was... It was it, you know, obviously, it hasn't aged fantastically from a from a visual point of view. But this is also not long after watching um, the Last Dance, so it was okay. kind of like, oh, this is quite this is quite cool because we've seen the backstory to how this film was made, and that kind of got me through it a little bit. And it's 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 not amazing, but there's worse out there. So mm. I'm, I'm you know sadly on the fence. Right. Rich, I'm guessing you must be a fan then if you're looking forward to the sequel. Yeah, I, I wouldn't sort of say I'm as, you know, as far gone as Stu in terms of my love for it, but I feel I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm past Matt in terms of, you know, a level of, I guess, ambivalence about it. So I, 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 I like um, LeBron James. I, I think he's actually got a little kind of bit of acting chops. He was in the, um, a, oh, I've completely blanked on the film now. Was it the Amy Schumer yeah, Amy train Schumer, wreck? Yeah, train wreck. That's it. And it, it was actually really fun in that I mm. found. Um, so I'd be kind of keen to sort of see what he does with, I guess, a bit more screen time in it. And, you know, but it, look, it, it's not exactly going to be ground, groundbreaking. I think the only the only issue is that all anyone was talking about online about it was the fact that they've took the bunny's tits in. And that was, that's like a, bit, a big talking point. I think, yeah, because sexualising a cartoon, female bunny is the main talking point of a, a animated real-life film. And it doesn't really bode well. So, But maybe it was deflection. Maybe it's going to be great. But I am I will not be defeated on this one. No, <laughs> no way. Mm, we'll see. We'll put a poll out and see what the, uh, the listeners have got to say on that one. Uh, off to the DCEU. Apparently, The Rock is trying to get Jason Statham a role within the uh, their universe. Obviously, it's very early days. Are there any roles that you would particularly like to see the Stath take in DC films? Yes. I, I've wrote down two. Ironically, they're both Batman. Don't ask me why. Um, I think one's, one's silly, one's realistic. Which one do you want me to do first? Silly. Really? Okay, um, Alfred Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Because like, it could be like a, a, a retired army... Yeah, similar yeah. as in like Gotham the TV series, but you know he's all, he's a bit more nice and polite, but he's got that sort of rough and ready side. The other one would be Bane. Okay, again yeah. because he's you know he's not exactly going to be uh, you know he's not exactly going to play the Riddler, is he, Jason Statham? You know he's he's going to have to pay a bit of a brute. So mm. I thought something like Bane could work, although he's not. I, I guess he's maybe not quite got the build. Stu, Matt, have you got any uh, any picks for the Stath? I'd want him to, but he, I think it's, he's, his body type's too far removed, but I'd want him to play like a Cockney Victor Zaz. 
<laughs> um, oh yeah, I quite like that. I, I think he's he's too bulky, isn't he? He's not. I think like we associate Victor Zaz with being like a bit of a skinny wretch mm. at times. I'm not sure, but I think he could pull off that that role and you know be gratuitously violent, but look believable in doing it because we've seen him do it in 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 a ton of other things. Yeah, yeah. I think mine's probably. I'd be astonished if anyone else knew this. I mean, I, I only know because my mate. Aston's into this kind of thing. Um, is it Richard Dragon? Okay, yeah. He's yeah. On this one. That's quite a that's a good call. Very deep cut as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's um, Aston went to um, he went to uni with me and he, he had a year off to go to China and Japan to lo- learn martial arts properly. So he um, <laughs> Richard Dragon. He had com- he had comic books of Richard Dragon in his bag all the time. So that's the only reason I know he. Not that it's. A deep, deep cut for uh, for my own knowledge. Okay, excellent. Uh, in the streaming network news, Hulu have commissioned a 10-episode series of How I Met Your Father. Uh, not much else is known about this. It's assumed to be a spin-off, but it's also got nothing to do with the OG version, other than the title obviously having that link. Obviously, How I Met Your Mother was widely considered to have one of the worst endings in TV history. Are there any other shows that left a, a sour taste in your mouth when it ended off? Terra Nova. Was that the dinosaur Steven Spielberg one? Yeah. I couldn't get past the first ten minutes. It was <laughs> of course you couldn't. <laughs> oh, shit. It was. It was one of them things where it was. It was really awful, but it was kind of. It kind of filled the time when there was the one much else to watch, but it kind of got promising as it went along, and then it just ended and it never got renewed. Uh, but. It wasn't a great ending either, so you can kind of see why they didn't carry on with it. Matt, anything that you particularly hated when it wrapped up? Um, going super popular here, but Game of Thrones, pretty dreadful. <laughs> like, it, it was so consistently good for, like, all the way through. And then being one of those snarky people that can say, oh, well, actually, I've read the books before the TV show. <laughs> like, it was... It, it, it was on par with the books in part in terms of how it's quality. And then that in, the ending of the whole thing, I was just wrapped up like that. And it was just, it became, you know what? Zack Snyder could have done that ending. It became <laughs> less about substance and more about style. And that wasn't done very well, apart from the great shot with the dragon and the Khaleesi. So was it the... The heel turn from Daenerys that you didn't like? No, or... no, no, not at all. Because that that was that was um It was earned, I thought. And it was, you know, it was teased and it was done really well. I did it was just I don't know, I just I just, I just... it was it was rushed. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that that's sort of how I kind of read I, I had this was sort of one of my shortlist Game of Thrones. Because in fact they had the option to do ten episode series for seven and eight and they declined and they did I think it was what seven and eight or something like that eps and i've got no issue with literally where all the characters ended up all the main characters but it feels like they kind of just skipped like loads of character beats which wouldn't have they wouldn't have got away from the first couple of series because it was you know it's a the show was built on i guess this political drama it Mm. wasn't built on all this other stuff and the lack of payoff in certain things just didn't sit right. And, you know, like John's 
um, you know, parentage. It just had no relevance to the story whatsoever at the end of it. But it was teased within the first ever episode that he is his. We don't quite know his parents. It's going to be important at some point, but there is no importance to it. And mm-hmm. they could have been if they had more time and more episodes. And it was very much. It felt like it was the writers who made those decisions. Uh, Amazon Prime have confirmed their Middle Earth set show has cost a staggering $465 million US dollars for a single season. That is a lot of cheddar just for eight episodes. Like Prime don't seem to pump out new content quite as regularly as Netflix, but when they do, I always think that it's like grade A material. So they do a really good job with whatever Prime puts out. So even though I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan, I am looking forward to that series. I genuinely, I'll, I'll give it a chance at least. Disney Plus have confirmed that Secret Invasion is going ahead, uh, which is obviously set within the Marvel Universe. Samuel L. Jackson is going to be part of it, as is Ben Mendelsohn, who I just think is great. Sadly, Amelia Clark, she of Last Christmas <laughs> fame, has signed on to appear. No news on what her role is going to be. More interestingly, though, Olivia Coleman is reportedly in talks to star in that series. And Netflix this week have confirmed that they have a deal in place to produce Shout It Out Loud, the Kiss biopic. Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons will be heavily involved in the creative process. I'm excited about that. <laughs> what bands would you like to see given the biopic treatment? The obvious one's Oasis, because, I mean, you've got you've automatically got the drama between the two of them straight away. I mean, my favourite band of all time anyway, so it's kind of cheating, but it would genuinely be a... Because the lineup with the rest of them did change twice, so it would be genuinely interesting, I think. I completely agree. I'm a big Oasis fan as well, as you know, so yeah, I'd, I'd be all up for that. Rich? Oasis would be a really good shout, because, and I think I was trying to work out, well, why would you need... Like, what would make a good biopic for the band? And I think... A, you've got the music, and B, you've got a quite a large level of like internal conflict, mm. and that. So, I thought Nirvana would be a good shout. One, mm. or you, I, I don't know how you could do it, but yeah, I thought that that's kind of got an interesting sort of story. I, I wasn't sure, and I feel like I'm probably on the wrong podcast for the same as maybe a Fleetwood Mac biopic. No, the Fleetwood Mac. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, like just the level of drama. Alongside casting with the music, I think would work really nicely. You know what, though, after after that documentary two years ago, a Bross biopic would be incredible. <laughs> I should have expected that from you, actually, Stu. Yeah, that's, a, that's your kind of thing, Matt. I know you're um, into your metal. So, is this going to be a metal biopic you want? <laughs> I want to. Well, there's two I want. First of all, um, yeah. That I'd want to see the story of Slipknot come to life. But the reason I say that is there is more than meets the eye with that band. So first of all, you had Slipknot before Corey Taylor came in and there was kind of a hostile takeover between Corey Taylor joining the band and then an album that they had released, they redid and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then you've got stuff with Mushroom Head or another like band pretty much identical from the same, uh, from Iowa, the same state that were like the same kind of band, same amount of members all wear masks and there's, there's drama there and beef. Then um, Paul Gray, the bassist, he died. Joe jordison has been kicked out the band. There's quite a lot of things that have gone on within Slipknot that like would make good film watching if you did it 
in the style of the Dirt, the Motley Crew mm. style. Um, and I then I also want to see, but I want it to be an adaptation of the stage version of 20th Century Boy, the story of Mark Bolan and T-Rex. Um, Excellent. Saw that at, uh, at the Grand Theatre a few years back. It was outstanding. Really, really excellent it was. And I want them to bring that world to film and make it a Rocketman psychedelic experience, not a straight, bi- like straight biopic. I want them to. I want them to drug it up. I want them to LSD it up and make it like a, a visual mm. spectacle. That was what I loved about Rocketman is is that it was a, it was narrated by Elton John, so it had that flair to it that mm-hmm. a straight to you know a straight to celluloid film wouldn't be necessarily have had. So yeah, I I love that idea. T Rex was fantastic, and they, the period of time that they were around would very much suit that type of storytelling mm, as well. For sure, yeah, I mean, perfectly. That, that's always going to be my go-to if anybody asked me what era would you go back to musically. It would be. 77, mm. no, kind of glam rock, glam rock meets punk. Oh, fuck yeah. Slade as well. Sla- yeah, you want to get onto Slade in Flames, Joe? That's, yeah, great film. You'll enjoy that one. Oh, I have. <laughs> I fucking love Noddy. Absolute legend. Uh, and finally, some Nick based news. Also, Disney Plus, uh, they've said that National Treasure is going to be getting a TV series. Uh, Cage won't be starring in that one. But interestingly, they have said that they are looking into doing a third film. Um, so we will get the return of Benjamin Gates. Uh, when I was Googling this, though, I stumbled across a review for National Treasure Book of Secrets. And I know we don't normally do reviews on question casts, but I couldn't let this one pass. <laughs> <laughs> so Elizabeth Foss wrote a review in December 2020. So less than six months ago. National Treasure was a disgusting and explicit film. (laughs) I was relaxing with my partner of nine months and they were so distraught that they left my house and we didn't speak for a month. If you care about your mental health or your loved ones, stay away from National Treasure. The casual drug usage was difficult to watch as a woman in today's society. A warning for any parents out there to not let their children watch this because before I watched it with my partner, I almost watched it with my niece. I hope no studio ever creates a movie like this again, despite what other people may say, don't be fooled into watching this movie. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I love <Is>, that. <laughs> is she sure that she ain't watched Bad Lieutenant instead? I think. It's got to be. I can't remember any drug usage no. in either of the I, National Treasure films. I mean, they're, they're PG, 12A PG films, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> the Disney Soft. films, there's definitely no drug usage. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that review, so I thought I'd better slip it in there. Right. So, Matthew, have we had fan questions? Yes, we have. Um, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, while you're checking that, We've had one sent in by Ash Dolan. Uh, he didn't tweet us, which he should have done, but I'll let that slide. <laughs> so he wants to know, he's given us a list of uh, cinema properties and we have to lose three of them. So the properties he's given us are Star Wars, the MCU, X-Men, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Bond, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, Fast and Furious and Star Trek. So you need to call three of those properties. What what would you get rid of, Stu? I mean, uh, out of all of them, 
I mean, I've watched the first four Harry Potter films, despite having them all for over God knows how many years. So that's gone straight away. Fuck that off. Um, <laughs> but the rest, it's... I mean, I, it's kind of like, oh, okay. It's less of it. Worst evils, I suppose, because I, I do generally like the vast majority of things on this list. Uh, it's like a personal attack, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, St- Star Trek's probably next. Um, but then I am struggling, so I'd probably have to say, because they're going to be in the MCU anyway, so I'll get rid of X-Men. Yeah, I mean, for mine, I've got X-Men was the easy one because, as you say, they're going to be part of the MCU. And bar first class, I thought most of the films were crap. The second film I'd get rid of is going to annoy our two-time guest, David Evans, because I'd get rid of Jurassic Park. I don't think it's that good. And the other one is going to annoy Stu because it's going to be Bond. Fuck... It's going to be Bond. Get rid of Bond. Shit. Just done. Rich, who would you be getting rid of? Uh, so, my weirdly. Similar, so I had Fast and Furious. No, I know, I know. Oh. I'm sorry, that wasn't even one that was similar. I'm sorry, just I, I, I was trying to work out for me, like which I guess sort of had a wider impact. And Fast and Furious has never really done it for me on a grand scale. Like I've, I've never had a dying urge to go see it in the cinema. And I thought that's sort of a telling thing for me. I had X Men um, as well um, on sort of my list. The other one, and this will probably get me shut down, chiefly because there's never been a truly good, well, great one, I guess, sort of in my time as Superman. Yeah, that's fair. And I kind of thought, well, like Henry Cavill's done okay, but like Man of Steel didn't blown on socks away. As, as a, as a, as a, like a film series, it, it like I, I won't have lost any sleep not watching any Superman films. I suppose he's living off the glory of the 70s film. I mean, you yeah. can see in my camera the picture of Superman, that suit. But it is living off the glory of that. You, you are, I can understand yeah. it, you know, as you say. Like it, it, I think it's like a film franchise. I mean, you've, you've got arguably issues with him being like so powerful and things like that. Um, you know, and, uh, Jurassic Park was quite high up there for me, but I think I settled on X-Men chiefly because when it comes down to it, I think there's two or three out of the ten I enjoy. Yeah, yeah You don't want DMs um, off Dave literally on Monday morning either, do you? That's, that's no, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah. I, will keep, I will keep Jurassic Park on there, but I will, you know, I will remove Fast and Furious and take whatever punishments required on that one, unfortunately. <laughs> Matt, what would be on the chopping block for yourself? Star Trek, get rid. <laughs> Superman, get rid. And because... I'm I'm a man of integrity, <laughs> and I'm not going to get rid of something that I've never seen. So I'm not going to put Fast and the Furious on there because oh, I, I can't shocked. say that it's shit, even though I have s- suspicions. I think <laughs> um, And for that reason, and for that reason only, I'm getting rid of Back to the Future. Oh. Oh. Number three is 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 really bad, and it just reminds me of when ITV don't have anything else to put on, and it's always Back to the Future three. The first one's a classic, and if it was standalone, a standalone like you got to get rid of Back to the Future, the film. But as a, it's just never gripped me like um, like some of the others on that list, really. I mean, Bond was close to going, but the Daniel Craig era Bonds have been fantastic, and then 
Pierce Brosnan ones get better and better and better the longer you go on because they get worse and worse and worse to watch. <laughs> uh, and then there's, there's always Goldeneye. And, but yeah, Star Trek can get in the bin. Superman can get in the bin. And um, regrettably, Back to the Future. That's fair. Right. Other uh, listener questions, Matt? Yes. Yes, I'm ready, willing and gable. Um, <laughs> right, so... Niche one for Ash Dolan there, that one. Um, so, TK, Tom Kearney, are there any films that you have cherished memories of but do not want to watch again in case you realise they're crap? I used to be obsessed with old Golden Harvest Kung Fu films. Watched one of the favourites back recently. It was awful. Now, I can I can attest to this because I've known Tom years and years and years and years, and every time he used to go around when we were, like, in our teens, he'd always put on some hokey kung fu for me like this is fucking great and i never thought that they were sorry tom um and now he's now he's finally seeing it we'll have to get tom on to uh, to defend these or or not as the case may yeah, be. maybe yeah um never ending story i remember loving uh, the never ending story yeah i remember loving it and obviously the songs <laughs> are classic um and i've seen like youtube clips of it and it looks really shonky now and I'm too scared to go back and watch it in case it's awful and it ruins my childhood memories of it. Mine would probably be in that kind of realm, I suppose. Um, Flight of the Navigator. I, lo- I used to love that film. And I'm guessing that it's quite awful and terrible now. So um, it's not going to be what I remember. So it's like, just leave things leave things where they are in time rather than anything else. Rich, have you got anything that you were uh, dread returning to? Um, so, uh, ironically, National Treasure was one of them. No, um, no, no, no. You'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised. You know I was going to say because uh, I, I know it was like one of the first ones you did, and I and I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it since. But hearing you guys talk about it made me feel better because I remember at the time thinking. Oh my god, this is so cool! It's like a, <laughs> you know, it, it made sense yes. because. And I, I, I can feel Andy's about to tell me to um, <laughs> f off. But I was twelve when that film came out, mm. so yeah, okay. it, it worked for me compared to let's say, you know let's say something like Da Vinci Code, which came out at a similar oh, time. And like, but you could see how it National Treasure would be a much easier film to digest. And don't get me wrong, Da Vinci Code is uh, not not exactly uh, you know quality either. Um, and it doesn't have Nicholas Cage in. So um, I was really worried about Mike Bassett. And then, no, that that still holds up for me. Yeah, that does. Yeah, yeah I, I was quite surprised how how decent that still was. Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's I mean, good, but it's decent. Yeah. No, it, still, it still holds up its charm. It's still got a lot of charm with it. Uh, so our good friend, uh, Andrew Wright, who is slowly becoming one of my favourite contributors because he keeps putting in the absolute class uh, questions has come through with another one for us. Uh, he wants to know, in honour of the European Super League, he wants to know which film, <laughs> as if we haven't talked about it enough, but which films would be better without the so-called stars in them? So think of a film that's got top, top A-class uh, actors or actresses in them. Take them away, slip in someone maybe from an indie film that you think would make it better. Instantly, a shot of glory. <laughs> take, away, Robert take away Robert Duvall and Michael Keaton and that film can be ten times better 
Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, crash, and not the sexy crash, the <laughs> the one that won the Oscar, that one. Because if that didn't have that cast, that wouldn't have got Oscar nominated, and it wouldn't have stopped no. Brokeback Mountain, which was ten times the film from winning it. So yeah, Crash. It was shit anyway, so just put a shit cast in there and get rid. Okay, Doug. Rich, any for you? Any any films that you think if you take away a major major actor but put somebody maybe a lesser known actor in there would have would have been better? I'm struggling. I'm thinking films that have sort of bombed to a degree because they've almost had a high profile person built on it. Um, I'm I'm struggling. Really, I, I think I think it. a film like like exactly like you said, um, and and we are massive fans of Dwayne the Rock Johnson on this pod, but something like the Tooth Fairy, like yeah. I think <laughs> you shoehorn an actor in like that. I get why he was there, but I think you know there are better there are better suited people for roles yeah, I like think that. The, the bit, I guess sort of Will Fell went through a stage where he did a couple of very um, like kicking and screaming. And a few other ones like that, where maybe a, a less high-profile actor might have done a bit better with the material potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely yeah. fair. What about? Um, I was thinking, I know it's going to be controversial because he did he did write really well, but David Schwimmer in Band of Brothers it really put me off. No, I just because you just associated him with Friends, and obviously because I watched it not so long ago, and I thought, hmm, okay. Yeah, he's been a bit, a bit of a knob in this, but mm. it's a whole. It's a bit of a knob in friends, though. Yeah, that's what made, yeah. all all I could think of as friends every time he was on the screen. So they're just death by association with M six. Mm. Fair enough. And uh, David Evans, of course, good friend of the show. What alternative endings would you like to have seen for the actual endings in films? For example, in Endgame, when Iron Man does the "I am, I, I am Iron Man, I am Iron Man," uh, Black Sabbath there, uh, and snaps the gauntlet. Originally, they had filmed Robert Downey Jr. flipping Thanos the bird and saying "fuck you" before snapping. Although the "I am Iron Man" is nice full circle, the latter would have been one of the best badass moments in cinema. So are there any alternative endings that you've seen on maybe a DVD extra or something like that that you would have really liked to have been the one? Um, there's a few alternative endings to the movie Seven. Um, if you ever see it, I think there is one where um, Morgan, Morgan Freeman's character ends up killing um, Kevin Spacey. And it's like, I think it, that, that there is a storyboard sketch of it on what DVD extra um, where he kills him. He's like, what did you do that for? It's like, it was my last day on the job, and then just walks <laughs> away. <laughs> and then oh, tell me what the actual fuck. So yeah, that that would be my alternative ending. What would ruin a brilliant film as well? Um, the only one that I can think of, uh, I I presume you've seen Clerks. I'm sure everyone else. In here, yeah. So uh, the original ending was going to be that a uh, someone comes in to rob the store. And shoots Dante, and he dies there. That's the only one that I can think of. But actually, that would ruin the film. That would have been a really bad idea. And they did the right thing in leaving it out. Um, they, they did shoot it and everything. So that is a, a DVD extra on the the tenth anniversary uh, DVD of it. And the other one, the one that I can think of, which they changed, uh, well, changed it for the director's cut, was the butterfly effect, the Ashton yes. Kutcher film. Yes, yes, yes. In the cinematic release. He 
undoes everything that he he's supposed to do. So he can go back in time and he sets it up that the girl who he befriends, that they don't become friends because whenever they're friends, the world goes to shit. So he undoes everything. And then the end of the cinematic film completely ruins everything. Whereas in the director's cut, he goes back to when he's in the womb and strangles himself with his umbilical cord. Like, it's quite grim, but it makes perfect sense for the movie. Um, So that's the one I can think of where the alternate ending was the better one. Um, and they did shoot it and put it in, but it's only available on the director's cut DVD. I don't believe we've got around this whole round table without even mentioning the worst ending of everything. Next, obviously. We <laughs> <laughs> said it at the time, I'm not going to get angry anymore. In an extra, extra half hour, it would have been terrible film, not the abysmal mess that it ended up being. All it needs, different ending. If you had an alternative ending, it means more money was spent on that travesty. <laughs> So let's save costs <laughs> and let's dumb it down. Um, quick side, very, very quick sidebar. I don't have an answer for the question, but what I do remember now, Wolverhampton University um, has been called many things over the years. I had some wonderful lecturers when I studied at Wolverhampton University, so I'm not shitting on them. However, uh, <laughs> we did an editing course at Wolverhampton Uni, which was just us watching the uh, Wills uh, Men in Black that has a DVD extra of you just rearranging the scenes and then watching it back in the order that you rearrange them. And that was the editing <laughs> course. Um, <laughs> so a DVD hope, extra. Yeah, DVD extra, yeah. So um, uh, if anybody, if this does make it to the Dean of Wolverhampton University, if there is such one, um, please edit the curricula. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for that. So we'll move on to the questions. Um, As was introduced last time met by Matt. We've got a non-movie related question. This time out, it is from myself. And I'm going for something audiovisual. I want to know what your favourite music video is. Stu? Oh, why did you come to me first? <laughs> when you said this, there was one thing that sprung straight to mind. And I don't know why. Eric because... Prince, call on me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ate too far off. And it was... Um... It was Flying the Flag by Scooch. Um, For fuck's sake. <laughs> great video, though. No, it was um, Holly Valance, Kiss Kiss. Oh, I loved Holly Valance as a youngster. And, oh, I mean, so, a... I'm, I'm sure, Andy, you've mentioned that multiple times since I've <laughs> known you. Yeah. And that, that video, I mean, obviously it was it was based on the Tarkan song uh, of the same name from Turkey, but I mean, this was, was at my cousin's house on a Friday night. Um, me and Gal do there, and the rock was supposed to be on SNTV Live the next day. So for some reason, we said, "Oh, why don't we just stay up all night?" <laughs> Obviously, um, <laughs> but all of, of course. <laughs> so we were in our cousin's house, and she was upstairs getting laid, and there was me and Goldie again, pissing about through sitting up watching the music channels all night long because there's nothing else on, waiting for Holly Valance to come on. <laughs> just deliberately keeping ourselves awake and so we must have seen that, that video about I think it was at least 10 times that night and <laughs> it was always the same thing later on pause it, is she actually wearing nothing at all or is it but obviously she was wearing clothing um, but yeah, that was my um, that was my go to straight away the, obvi- the obvious sensible answer is Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai because it's great uh, Rich, what is your music choice? Uh, music video choice? 
I was trying to think of what I like about a music video, and I guess sort of once I've come older, it's sort of one that kind of tells a story. So mine is actually one of my favourite bands called Gaslight Anthem and their song Handwritten. So um, for any of you who don't know it, basically it starts sort of in the in the fifties and it essentially tracks um this a a vinyl record sort of throughout the decade so it initially starts with a musician playing in a band so he's sort of you know he's kind of created this song and in the crowd you've got a boy and a girl um watching it sort of becomes sort of their their love song i guess um the the girl buys the boy um a recording of it writes a note in the, the vinyl slip which is sort of quite a common thing to do um he keeps it he then ends up going off to war and never coming back the dad comes across it years later writes a message within it uh, a young boy then finds it in a loft not quite sure if the boy is related to the dad um he then replays it finds it fascinating writes a note himself cuts to about 25 years later um and the same boy kind of the same guy kind of takes the vinyl to a record store and sells it um and it essentially ends with the musician who originally wrote the song who's now in his sort of um 60s or 70s coming across it in the store and reading the messages that um um, that people had wrote and the impact it's had through these different people over time i thought that's just like a really cool way of i guess sort of portraying how music i guess can influence people not just you know, at one point in your life and how it can kind of get passed down from different people, whether it's directly, you know, let's say parents to children or it's just sort of, I guess, sort of how it's kind of gone through over time, really. Matt, I get the feeling you may steal one of my uh, choices. Mm. Oh, I know what you're going to say. No, I know I'm not. I know, you're gonna... to I know exactly what your one is. Um, I'm just going to say five, six, seven, eight then. <laughs> no, well, I was going to go... Um, I was going to go with um, Spinning Around by Kylie Minogue because I'm fairly certain I attribute that to my first erection. But, um, <laughs> but no. So this... Sorry, sorry. Can we just make sure um, next time a daft question puts something out there? <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I, can t- I can tell you right now, mine was Naked by Louise. <laughs> Absolute guarantee. And I even... Uh... There is, I even got, um, that was the first time I ever got caught as well because my sister had, um, smashed. That is such um, a loaded fucking sentence, that is. This is, this is before we realised the thrill in it. She had, um, Smash It's magazine, and obviously they had posters in the middle, and Louise Nerding was in the middle of it, so. I, um, but I forgot to lock my door down, so. <laughs> oh. And uh, there you go. Um, so, um, so I've got so I've got two really. Um, first of all, is a fan video that no probably no one will have really seen unless they actively like the band. And there's um, "I'm the Bomb" by Electric Six. It was a completely fan made video. It's not an official video at all, but they've watched it and they've kind of give it an offer like they've give it the seal of approval. And it's it's this like Cherokee big lad who basically sings the song as he's walking around this uni uh, like a lecture hall but he does it with such charisma it's absolutely hilarious mixed with the fact that like the song has like um this really funky funky beat to it you just need to watch it and, and enjoy it it's really funny my actual one um is go with the flow by queens of the stone age it's set it's i don't really know how to describe it it's all in this kind of mo well, i feel like it's mocap but it's 
really weird um I don't know if someone can describe it better than me. It's like it's it's almost cell shaded. It's a bit like yeah, um yeah, exactly. it's the same thing they use with this kind of darkly, that same technique. Oh, okay. I know what you mean, yeah. And it's just stylistically really, really excellent and it has this like flat it's all red and black until the end where the two meet and they basically bone and then there's a flash of colour. Um and it's just it's a really sexy video for what is a really sexy song. And um, at the time, because you've got to think this, this is going back now, got to be about 15 years or so. You just weren't getting videos that were of this quality and stylistically as, as beautiful as this. And it's just stuck with me for like pretty much my whole musical adult life. Excellent choice, right? Uh, so for myself, like the genesis of this question was because Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel is the greatest video of all time. It, it, it doesn't even need discussing because that is just the answer. Um, but I've got a couple of honourable mentions that I was going to go for. <clears throat> so I've got two silly ones and two not so silly ones. And then my actual answer. So the silly one, Rubber Bandits, Horse Outside. Fucking really good, fun song with just a dumb video. Check it out. It's great. Green Jelly, Three Little Pigs, which is a claymation retelling of the Three Little Pigs. It's, it's fucking... Are you doing claymation to wind tar up here? I'm not, but it's <laughs> just an added bonus, I suppose. Uh, the two more serious ones. Okay, go here. It go. Um, yes. Here it goes again. Uh, that one and Weezer, Buddy Holly, which we mentioned last time because it's a Spike Jones um, video. But the one that I wanted to highlight was Frightened Rabbit. I wish I was sober. So it's a song about addiction. Obviously, I wish I was sober. And in the video, it's a woman who is stuck in her car having a breakdown. And she's just got all these people which are around and they're pushing her up, holding her back, moving her around. She can't do anything without these people literally attached to her, moving her body joints and everything. It just works perfectly. It is so well done when it's married with the song itself. So I'll put these onto a poll. We'll put it out tomorrow in your world, which is like next Tuesday for us lot. Uh, and then let us know what you think. And obviously tell us what you think your favourite uh, music videos are. So on to the questions. What have you been watching lately? Matthew. There's only one thing on my telly box because I'm so far behind. And if I have to, <laughs> I, I, this is the first time I've been utilising the mute function on Twitter. Um, to, so I don't see line of duty spoilers, basically. Um it is just really excellent TV, though. I'm really enjoying it. Series 2, on reflection, wasn't great. It was a bit confusing for the sake of being confusing, I think. But Series um, series 4 that I recently finished with uh, Tandy Newton, um, she was just excellent. She was she was so good in it, as, um, as Line of Duty always is, villain, come hero, come not villain, come hero. You know what I mean? Like, they're zigging and zagging all over the place. Uh, and now we've got Stephen Graham. So in series five, I'm on now, who is just, again, just excellent. You know, don't think he gets the recognition he deserves. He Mm. he is a real national treasure for us in terms of um, British actors. So, yeah, really, really enjoying it. By this time, by the next question cast, I'll have finished it and hopefully be up to date just before the finale. Um, But it's just it's just really excellent television. Really enjoying Mm. it. Rich, what have you been watching lately? Similar to Line of Duty in a way, I just finished uh, watching Unforgotten, uh, which is an ITV yes. series, mm. and I would argue it is 
um, uh, I didn't like the last ever episode and how they ended it personally. Um, but I won't go into spoilers. Um, but I would argue the the first and the third series of it are on par with anything Line of Duty has produced in terms of its uh, plot, in terms of the chemistry between the cast. I just think it's fantastically, uh, fantastically done. I watched for the first time last week my Big Fat Greek Wedding, um, <laughs> which I enjoyed far more than I thought I would. Um, it was one my, my wife said it's one of my favourite films, which was a surprise to me because she's never mentioned it before. But uh, <laughs> that, that's another conversation, isn't it, for another day? Um, but I, 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 I really enjoyed it. And then she said, "You know, there's a second one." And I went, "What?" And then I saw a trailer for it, and oh, oh no, it looks a it looks a train wreck. Um, but that's going to be our next sort of mini movie date night. That's sort of been my sort of last couple of weeks. Mm. Stu, what have you been watching? Um, I've I've finished off my uh, things I was watching before. So Godfather three, never seen it before, never going to watch it again. Wank. Um, Godzilla versus Kong, very good, very good. Um, the CG seems to have uh, the old budget seems to have been lowered <laughs> considerably <laughs> compared to the other three films. Um, it just looks like a game, but again, it's giant monkey fighting a giant lizard. So what do you want, really? It's it's a, it's as stupid as it sounds, and yeah, that's it. That's all. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself more watching that than I did Godfather Three. So that, that's what I watched this week. Okay. After our podcast with Tom Stade, when that went out, literally on that Monday morning that it went out, I had three texts of three different people all saying the same thing: "You haven't seen District Nine." <laughs> so I've changed that and I've watched District 9 this last week it's brilliant like genuinely I can't believe it's taken me this long to watch it you can enjoy it on whatever level you want because it does have those levels to it and I'm just amazed that it was clear, it was obviously made on a shoestring because it's a South African production they don't have a big film industry as far as I'm aware but it looked proper it looked like stuff it looked better than some films I've seen oh, made yeah, in Hollywood sure. Excellent. So, yeah, I'm really glad that I changed that and finally got round to it. And then this last weekend, I did a bit of a meta-horror movie marathon. So I watched Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which is a mockumentary following a wannabe serial killer come Jason Voorhees type. Um, It was super low budget, which kind of held it back. I then watched The Final Girls, which is a campsite horror movie um, piss take. So a group of kids get sucked into a campsite horror movie within the film itself. Mm. It's it's good fun. Yeah, that sounds it's before. So yeah, good. I'd say check that out. So that is my TV viewing for the last week. Uh, the next question is also mine. Um, tell me about your favourite performance where an actor portrayed a non-fictitious character. So, for example, Emilio Estevez was Billy the Kid in Young Guns, or Jack Nicholson was in or was Nixon in Nixon. Uh, it can be a fictional film or it can be a non-fictional, just as long as they are playing someone who was of our world. Stu, do you want to start us off? Nice and easy, and I actually know that you've seen this film as well, um, and it's Daniel Brühl's performance as Nicky Lauder in Rush. Oh, nice. 
Which is um, available on the iPlayer currently. Yeah. Um, obviously, everyone knows what a big F1 fan I am. And obviously, watching Nicky Lauda for, obviously, as he was now, after the accident for the last 20 odd years until he died last year. Um, so you kind of, you know his mannerisms and you know how he is. And he absolutely nailed it. He was spot on. Couldn't fault him whatsoever. And I know you, you either go the one way, you either go, do you do a copycat or do you do artistic license? And you mm. capture the essence of the, th- the performance, but he did both. And so from a personal point of view, because I know, no, obviously, but I'm more aware of Nicky Lauder than anyone else. He nailed that performance and he was class. Just as, as a film anyway, in any tone. Um, he was class, but yeah, his performance can't fault it at all. Mm. I don't know Daniel Brawl from a lot of things, but whenever I've seen him in anything, I've always enjoyed his performance. He just seemed a very solid actor, just not one that is not mainstream Hollywood, but good call that one, Chip. Rich, what's your favourite? Uh, my favourite? I mean, you, you, there was a point where I thought maybe sort of uh, Michael Sheenan, well, you could have had sort of several on there. You could have had him playing mm-hmm. Tony Blair. You could have had him being Clough. There was a few. Um, I settled on DiCaprio playing Jordan Belfort, even though I don't like Jordan Belfort as a person and I don't mm. like the amount of airtime that man gets because, frankly, he is a criminal with very little remorse. Um, I do think he wonderfully portrayed him. Mm. Excellent film, that is. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant film. Um mm. I, I think it's fantastic, and I think DiCaprio's brilliant in it in, in kind of capturing some of um, Belfort's personality and his little traits. And uh, But I, I say I just don't like Jordan Belfort because, you know, I, I, I've i worked in sales. I have LinkedIn. When you see people, like, sharing, like, some of the quotes and stuff like that, it's like you realise everything he did was a criminal act right when you're saying oh yeah you need to pick up the phone treat it like you're AK-47 it's like message a man and I and I can't separate them with him but hey we're, we're focused on the actor not the, the the real person in real life are we Matt what's yours um, so yeah it would have been um, Sheen in the Damned United as Brian Howard Clough is obviously up there um if you've come our way via the fan cast, then we did an episode as part of the film cast on the Damned United, which you should check out if you do like the Damned United. Um, but everyone's favourite racist, Winston Churchill, portrayed by um, <laughs> Gary Oldman um, in The Darkest Hour, which I actually think was a really, really great film. Uh, and I think he portrayed him really, really well. A film that, you know, I think military history is something that i enjoy but don't know enough about really i do I, I, anytime I, I ever get my hands on anything military history related i really enjoy it i just don't actively you know go out and, and, and read anything yeah exactly um and this film it was just excellent i really enjoyed it, it gripped me the whole way through and i um and i thought his portrayal and i don't i'm trying to think is is gary oldman is he known what other kind of method acting he's done that I can really attribute at the same level as what he did in the darkest hour. Um, hmm. That I can think of off the top of my head, but I just think he was excellent in it. And, you know, his mannerisms and the work that he put in to do um, 
to to portray Winston Churchill was just excellent. And um, if you read in some articles about what he actually go through to, to to be that character, it's outstanding. It's just take, it just shows why he is a level above other people when it comes to his performances. Mm, I mean, yeah, he is a great actor. I wasn't a massive fan of that one. Mm-hmm. I, I loved his performance in this, but I didn't massive. I didn't love the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'd probably prefer him in Sid and Nancy. Mm-hmm. He's really good as Sid Vicious, which obviously that's going back some years. But but yeah, anything with Gary Oldman, and I will give the time of day. He's superb. Uh, my film though is a film called Bubba Hotep which stars Bruce Campbell, um, he of Evil Dead fame, as Elvis Presley. And it's set, it's set sort of like 20-odd years after the king died. And Elvis Presley is living in a old people's home. The story is that he was the real Elvis and he traded places with one of the Elvis impersonators. So he got to live out a quote-unquote normal life whereas this impersonator went and lived as the king and got fat and died and everything. And what is in this old people home, he's in there with someone who is Richard Nixon, who is this old black fella, and who says that he's determined that he's Richard Nixon, but they changed the colour of his skin because it's the easiest thing to hide in plain sight. So it's two for one in that case. And Bubba Hotep is this zombie who is stalking the the halls of this retirement home and he wears a pair of cowboy boots which is why they call him Bubba Hotep it's one of my absolute favourite B-movies it is superb and Bruce Campbell as Elvis Presley excellent so that's my choice so the next question is Mr Stuart K. Halls that does sound like some kind of fever dream that you've just made up, that can't possibly be real it's um... superb, you'd love it sure. <laughs> and... Oh, everything you said about it makes me want to go and find it now because yeah, I know definitely. I love that kind of thing. But yeah, mine's it's more of a bugbear than a question. <laughs> um, so we had the, we had the the, um, the Snyder Cut a month ago, so ago, and obviously that was released in four point three. So when when you have things released in that kind of aspect ratio, it's normally a in my experience, it's normally old people who do this, and they stretch the screen out to fill it, and it drives me insane. <laughs> and I, I can't sit there and watch it. I have to leave. I can't take it anymore. So, do you have a preference of watching it as it should be watched in the aspect ratio, or without any film nonsense, any motion nonsense on, or do you just not care? <laughs> Simple yes or no, Matthew. Um, I, uh, as it comes, literally, I'll just as it is displayed to me, I shall watch. I won't make any changes to it. I don't, um, and I don't know if is that a good thing or a bad thing. Like when 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 Justice League was out, and I've got it off now TV, and I press play. Am I meant to change something in your eyes, Stu, or am I meant to have left it how it was? No, because that was that was how it was supposed to be. Okay, that's fine. Then in which case, I just leave it as is. I wouldn't actively go out of my way to, to fill the blanks of the screen if it was in a certain aspect ratio, no. Um, I think it's more out of laziness than out of choice, though. I don't think it's... I just don't think I know any different. 
I think that's fair. I personally go with more of the approach of whatever the, the director filmed it in. So I, mean, I remember way back when watching on like a tiny little 20 something inch TV in my bedroom, watching The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which I think was shot in super uh, widescreen back in the day. So there was more black bars at the top and the bottom <laughs> of the screen than there was actual screen going on. <laughs> But that was what the director wanted you to see. He wanted you to get this, the feeling of desolation. So you've just got these two tiny people in the middle of a screen of just emptiness. And I think that was very much, that was a directorial choice. So that's that's the way I see it is, it is part of the experience that the director wanted you to have. It's part of their vision. So that's why I would go with it. It might take you five minutes to get used to it, like it did with Justice League, because it was weird having two black um, horizontal bars rather than vertical bars. But once you get used to it, it does add something. You can generally understand why the director has chosen that. So I always go with what the director prescribes with their uh, their movies. Yeah, kind of the same, to be honest. Um, uh, it weirded me out initially for Justice League. I thought I've done something horribly wrong here. And then so I kind of just went with it. For me, I prefer an aspect ratio, even if you lose a bit of the top from the bottom. And I've been trying to like work out why. And my theory is, because um, it tends to sort of be, um, what, 16, uh, 16 by 9, um, is that usually we're trained to sort of do left and right, particularly with, well, most things visual. We don't tend to sort of focus on things are um you know high and low so it makes sense to have it white you know i guess sort of more longer and thinner and i'd happily lose that bit of the top more than i would having it square that didn't quite feel right for me um but if that's how the director wants to almost have it which i completely get for a superhero film because it's the size of a you know it's more to do with the size of a, a comic um uh I completely forgot the word now. Um, like in a, in a, yeah, so that sort of makes sense for me. I also think uh, it probably seems horribly sort of new age, but with more people watching things on mobile phones, it makes mm. sense to have things in that format, especially with stuff goes straight to streaming. It kind of makes sense to have it um, in a format more fitting for that as well, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that. Whenever I've, I mean, it came, I was thinking about it because I think there was an article, it might have been The Verge, I mean, it might have been something else, but how someone had put that they um, they actively turned motion smoothing on. I thought, if, if as soon as you get a new TV, though, you just, I go straight and turn it off. Because if I walk anywhere, again, throwing old people under the bus, literally and physically. Um, <laughs> Where's this going? <laughs> you can just, you can just see it. You can. I don't know what it is that I, I notice it straight away. And I remember when we watched The Hobbit, and that was filmed weird, and the frame issue was all over the place. But again, that was that was the only time I've ever done it, and that was because of Peter Jackson being odd. That you had to mm. you had to change it because it didn't. It looked like Coronation Street. It looked weird. I think it's one of those where when you notice it, you can't notice it. That's a, that's probably the most technical question we've had on here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next question is yours, Rich, please. Okay, so I was I, I was umming and about what sort of question. You can take this in, I guess, however you want to, but it was 
essentially favorite minor Edgar Wright detail in one of his movies. So however minor you want it to be. Obviously, he is someone who puts a lot of effort and craft into the minutiae of a film. And I guess as what we literally just said, as soon as you notice it, you can't unnotice it. So there's so many sort of wonderful little quirks for me. Um, you know, whether it sort of stems across the Cornetto trilogy or one-off films within it, or you look at something like Baby Driver or um, Scott Pilgrim. Um, so a couple that sort of, I, I'll only do a couple, but one was the um, the geese, uh, the, um, the geese in Hot Fuzz and how it was a one-off joke when they kind of came, uh, you know, at the start with P.I. Staker, which is a great, joke in itself um but actually it pays dividends at the end because it was about um angel kind of um, actually doing his job picking up the picking up the swan in the police car and it ended up sort of stopping um dad at the end of it so that was a really nice one for me the other one is in world's end um where all the um main characters have a, a sort of named kind of after knights of the round table which I I hadn't picked up on. It was only sort of afterwards that you've got a Chamberlain um, who's sort of younger one. You've got a Prince um, who's um, Paddy Constantine's uh, character who's obviously like, you know, not the king. Um, and he's very much second tier. And you've got Knightley played by Nick Frost as well. So um, again, once you've heard it and you see it, 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 you know, just little things like that. But there are thousands. So I, I know Andy's a big, um, Edgar Wright fan, big fan of Hot Fuzz. So I thought this would be a nice one for you guys to get your teeth stuck into. Mm. Uh, my answer, it, it isn't one in a specific film. This is yeah. actually how he works all of his films. It's like a computer game. Yes. So you look and it starts off quite, I don't say low, but it starts off just bubbling along. You're just going through the first mission to the next mission to the next mission. And they all build up to this just crescendo. They, they, the pacing of it is perfect. So it's not like you're going from 30 miles an hour to 60, down to 20, then up to 100. He slowly works it up the way through. It is almost like it's the closest to playing a game. And I think obviously the best version of that would probably be Scott Pilgrim, which has so many references to games in them anyway. But you even have the actual, the bad guys that you work through to get to the final level. So, and he's got that in all of his movies, whether it be your zombie movie with Shaun of the Dead. He's got it in um, World's End as well. And the other thing that he does within those, he introduces elements of comic books as well. So if you look, there's so many times when you will see the whole group together and it's like a comic book splash page, like a double centrefold of a comic book. His visuals are outstanding. So... For me, that's it, that he's got this amalgamation between comic books and computer games that he just manages to put onto the screen to perfection in my eyes. Yeah, I think I um, sort of in sort of doing a bit of research for this, um, Sonnard once described every, in an Edgar Wright film, like every frame is a work of art. And that, yeah. that's where he's like, you could pause, pause, you know, any of his films at any point and go, that's a great shot. And that, mm. that, that, I think that probably tells the difference between a, a, a good film and a you know a, an incredibly well made one. Mm. Yeah, Matt, what what are you thinking for Edgar Wright? 
Um, so it's it's it, it's a specific. It's not a theoretical. Is not right the word I want to use, but it's the uh, it's the hot fuss poster in the um in the shop in hot fuzz um basically someone came up with a fan a fan theory once which edgar wright confirmed actually to be true and it was um they're talking about the murders that are going on in in the in the in the store and they're talking about the killer and then the hot fuzz by the band the killers there's a poster of that album in the background but the s from killers is hidden and if you know the album you know it's called killers and that is a foreboding of it being actually that it's a group effort by the town's folk not just one man who's doing the murdering because they hide the s because he hides the s from killers um but if you if you know the album cover you'll know it's the band killers not killer as they reference in the in the scene um and edgar wright said yeah that that was a thing that was intentionally done to like to be a foreboding thing that actually it is more than one person that's doing just doing the dirty murdering. It's that I think that Hot Fuzz is probably the best for those kind of tiny little details. That mm. I suppose it's because that's the one that's sort of like the Wicker Man, the the good Wicker Man, not the the Nick Cage one, obviously. That it does tie into those that group mentality. So he does have a lot of those tropes that he's taken from that, which and it's, I think it's, is very smart. It's one of those things, really, because you, you think to yourself, well, there's there's two levels to this. Hot Fuzz, the film, Hot Fuzz, the album. Okay, huh, that's, that's, that's funny. And, and then you think nothing else of it. But then you've also got the added then the actual added element of it as well. And you think to yourself, now you know. You think, why didn't I notice that before? Because why was a corner shop have an album or, or, or a co-op or anything after the album cover to a killer's? Mm. album in the background but then it makes perfect sense like when 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 you know what it's what it's driving and what it's its outcome is i just think it's just really nicely done and one of those things that you know there's there is gold in almost everything everything is so meticulously done for a reason and you know it makes you want to watch just to see what else you can spot and if, if that's not the sign of a good filmmaker then i don't know what is mm, definitely Stu? in mine i mean i I'm not as familiar with these films at all that I, as I should be, really, considering it really is my kind of thing. Um, and mine was going to be the Camelot references that were written straight away because it, I mean, I got that straight away as soon as as soon as it started unraveling the names. Of, hang on a minute. Um, the other one, I suppose, how spot on the music always is in every single film. Even things are the. I can't remember a film that I've ever seen with the specials in it. And it just works. Mm. Yeah. I think the um, Baby Driver is probably the perfect example because his use of music throughout that film. I know all the other ones, they've probably got maybe one or two really good musical set pieces. But Baby Driver is just an extended musical video. Yeah. I remember watching that scene where he goes to collect the coffee and that's within six or seven minutes of the start of the film and at the end of that scene i text you to say you need to see this film because <laughs> immediately i knew i i love this movie and everyone needs to go and watch it it was yeah brilliant and the final question this week then is matt's so quite simple your favorite single word titled film rich up get elaborate <laughs> no. I just think I just think it's a wonderful film. Um, mm-hmm. I think again, 
the way it kind of develops the relationship on 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 the old man. Uh, I just, I just think it's really really, really sweet, and um, it's also got one word as well, which which helps. Um, so I think artistically, I, it was probably one of the first films I remember as an adult crying at mm. at the start. That 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 opening montage with zero. Um, you know, where it was just the music and just how it told it. it I, I, I remember it, I watched it, it must have been like 18, 19 when I watched it and started to well up. I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is good. This is, I'm enjoying this. Yeah, it's fine. And then obviously, then obviously it gets funny and, you know, uh, it gets the badge at the end um, from him because he basically becomes his dad. So yeah, uh, up for me i also did have seven on there as well which is pretty much the other end of the spectrum um, so <laughs> yeah i thought i'd go up yeah uh Stu? i mean it's no oh, here we go <laughs> let's just 1974 emmanuel there you go <laughs> you know it's it's, it's... I haven't. I probably haven't seen it since. No, let's not say that. Um, it's it's a classic in the sense of it's a it's a film of freedom and, <laughs> and discovery. <laughs> no, it's softcore porn. We all know what it is. Um, now, my actual answer, obviously, Goldeneye. It is one word because it's a, it's the name yeah. of the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it's a great action film in its own right. It's probably Pierce Brosnan's best Bond film. His first and best. And it's just so incredibly 90s, even now. Mm. And it's got Sean Bean, and obviously we know what happens. So is it everything you want in a film? Goldeneye? For England, James. Yeah, mm, for sure. Andy, what about yourself? So I, ha- I had two, and I st- obviously you haven't gone yet, Matt, so I'm not going to name the second one in case you go for it. Um, but the one I'm going to go with is Psycho. I'm a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan anyway. And I think I think I saw the remake before I saw the original. And the remake, as we've discussed on this very podcast, is one of the absolute worst, most <laughs> self-indulgent pieces of shit ever. And it's partly why I don't like Vince Vaughn. <laughs> um, but that's by the way... Um, the original Psycho is absolutely excellent. A film from 1960 which revolutionised cinema. Prior to Psycho, people would just drop in and out of the cinema and just watch a film from halfway through if that's what they wanted to do. Hitchcock told them that you're not doing that. You're either in there from the start or you're not coming at all. Because obviously it would kill the whole film. The twist happens very early doors, or one of the twists happens very early doors. So he wanted to make sure that people watch the film properly, not just a case of dipping in and out and doing as you please. So it's a revolutionary film. It's a film that is genuinely eerie as fuck. For a film that was done in 1960, to have that element of psychosis, is that the right one? I suppose it is psycho. It does have that level to it, and it's it, it was genuinely disturbing. I couldn't imagine what it must have been like to be part of a 1960s society watching a film like this. This wouldn't be out of place if it was released now, let alone, you know, 60 years ago. The fact that he chose to do it in black and white, like colour cinema was a thing in 1960 as well. So I, I, 
like it's such a bold statement to move as everything is moving forward. He decides to have this echo back to the the past cinema. Love it. I think it's so well done. Anthony Perkins as the man himself. He was just the eeriest motherfucker ever. That dead-eyed stare at the end, that monologue, almost poetic soliloquy of a monologue at the end. It was beautiful and disturbing at the same time. As was the whole film. Love it. Psycho. Nice. That's the one. Very good. You could have had Alien, because I I haven't had it, if that's the one you were thinking of. No, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't? It. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, just had Aliens. Yeah, I was going to say, I had, I had Aliens and Aliens <laughs> on my list, just in case. And to, to be fair, it's probably one for another episode where we can give it a little bit more time, but I think we do need to talk about the rumble in the Twitter jungle that was people saying that Alien couldn't be a horror film because it was set in space. Oh, for mm. fuck's which we need to, which we, I think we could devote an episode to that, let alone like a segment. Um, but we'll maybe talk about that another time. I wanted to have Rocky at first, but I prefer Rocky 2 to Rocky 1. I think that's a better story anyway. I wanted to have Leon, but strictly speaking, it's Leon the professional. So I didn't want to have Leon either because I wanted to stick to the rules. Goodfellas was nearly number one. That's um, what I thought you were going to go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Casino, to be fair. Um, but I've actually gone full circle um, because I'm visiting the great nation of Scotland in the summer. Uh, I've had train spotting. Um, one of the very rare book is as good as the film is as good as the book combinations. Um, and it's just an excellent film that summarised um, that part of the world and that era of, of the 90s. Just like you watch it, it feels very 90s, but it, it does a really good job of not feeling like it's Old. aged horrendously yeah. either. Mm. Um, and it's it's just an excellent, excellent film that you watch as a young you, you watch when you're younger and and and, 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 you, and you watch it for its graphicness and its goriness and its its rawness. But then the when you watch it later in life when you read the book, you understand that it's actually about it's about growing up and it's about changing. It's about trying to be a better person. And it's also about heartbreak and agony. It's, it's just everything. It's everything. Trainspotting isn't, it's a film about heroin, but it's not a film about heroin. It's about, it's a, it's about being alive. I don't think a lot of people take it that extreme, but I think mm. they should. Um, it's just a really, I mean, choose life. That's the whole thing. I choose life. That's the whole, you know, the old message. Um, and I just love it. It's, it's up there as one of my, one of my top, top films of all time. Yeah, it is a cracking film. Right, you just mentioned something that has just made me think of a question. Casino. Is Casino mm -hmm. that good a film? I like it. I like it. I think it's, it, it benefits by things like Goodfellas existing because it's one of those, oh, I've watched Goodfellas, so I'll watch Casino now. I think if that world didn't exist and Casino was like, the only film of that genre, then you wouldn't like it as much. But because you're ingrained in it and you're already so used to those actors playing these roles, I think a certain element of that goes with it and, and you enjoy it. I, I, I like Casino, to be fair. Stu, what are your thoughts on it? I don't I don't remember it. I, I was just thinking then, when was it? It was 95. So I think continuing on for the uh, Godfather trilogy and now Goodfellas was next. So, mm -hmm. I don't know if to, to watch Casino and then Goodfellas now, um, mm. and do I, it that way around. I, I did that. I watched Goodfellas and then Casino, and Casino felt like a cheap imitation of Goodfellas. Yeah, I'm going to do, do Casino first, and 
So I was going to, I was teeing them all up so I can start Mafia Definitive Edition on PS5. That, that was the, the reason behind it all, getting the uh, Mafia Mafia mood. Um, but yeah, I think it needs a rewatch before I can comment on it because I don't remember it at all. Mm, that's fair. Rich, have, have you watched either of those films? Yeah, much well, of a I'd, I'd be probably same camp as you. I'd, 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 I'd go Goodfellas in Casino. And it feels very much in that order, and whether I, I guess for like a good fellow that didn't exist, how would it stand up against it? And I think it would still be good, but I don't feel okay the weight that it does. Mm. Yeah, excellent, superb. So that is us done for another week. Next week we're back to the picture part, and we. Originally, we were going to be doing Leaving Las Vegas because obviously it's Oscar season. But we thought, well, we did an Oscar film last time. So we'll go for something a little bit more fun. Uh, is it fun? Anyway, we'll be doing... It's already been mentioned tonight, so... Oh, yeah, we'll be watching Gone in 60 Seconds, which is available on Disney Plus currently. I watched it last night and I... It wasn't as fun as I remember. Um, of course, but we'll, we'll we'll get into that next time, mate. But you could do uh, you so, get to do that. You get to do that hand thing. The... That, that's <laughs> literally <laughs> like the one thing everyone knows about that film is that <laughs> that scene. I, I guys, I can, I am going to watch it the next week just so I can <laughs> listen along to it, just so I can relive it all. Andy, you'll be getting texts. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> So obviously, make sure you've got us on your Twitter on your Twitter at CageFightingPod. Emails to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. If you've got any film reviews, recommendations, anything, send them our way. We'll read them out. Or if you want to send us an MP3, we can put it into the podcast. Uh, as you're listening to us, presumably on your smart device or on your laptop, please make sure that you are following us or subscribed, depending on who you use as your podcatcher. Uh, so. If you'd like to also leave us a review, that would be superb and we would very much appreciate it. So, Rich, thank you very much for joining us this week. We really appreciate you uh, coming along and chatting film nonsense with us. My pleasure, guys. You know, I'll happily chat to you guys about everything and nothing any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Peace, love, death metal. Stay safe, guys. <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Making love isn't that important. It's the way you make love. Goodbye. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Rich, would you like to say goodbye? Sayonara. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a fucking big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openers. (laughs) Choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. 
Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life.